It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome into Locked On Knicks. I am Alex Wolf. He is Gavin Shaw. Coming to us from Austin, Texas, Gavin, uh, which is very cool. And today we are going to go over the Knicks schedule with you guys. Just a few key dates. Uh, I am actually going to have Budum on from Posting and Toasting uh, a little later this week to go a little more in depth on the schedule. But today we are going to just give some rapid reaction to the schedule, which released on Monday. Yeah, shout out to uh, Austin. Shout out to uh, Dirty. All my Austin locals listening know what I'm talking about, which I'm sure I'm sure there are plenty of you. And uh, next on the podcast, we are going to get into our our continue our player review season. Uh, DeAndre Jordan and Ennis Cantor, two centers. One of them pretty helpful. One of them pretty disappointing. Next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Knox, foul from behind. Count and one. As Fisdale pumps his fist. Milikina. What he does is contagious. Oh, Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane to Trier. Trier drives. Becomes infectious. Welcome in to Locked on Knicks. Thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, I am Alex Wolf. I am sitting in my uh, dining area as per usual. But Gavin, you're in Austin today. What's going on, dude? Yeah, I'm currently at uh, Flow Sports HQ. With, uh, if anyone is a uh, college athletics fan, uh, you probably encountered your team playing on Flow Sports, probably in the early season non-conference game. The beautiful office here. If anyone's ever, I, I've never really been in like an office like this. If anyone's ever watched like Silicon Valley before, it's like where they have those like giant, like it, it's just basically a huge event space. And they just have these like long desks, no cubicles. They're great snacks. It's really, it's, it's like a millennials, like Kevin, essentially. Yeah, and I'm here, uh, I think I mentioned it before on the show, but uh, broadcasting um, college basketball games, uh, basically the international tours for a few different teams uh i've done uh, two two georgia tech games now uh one syracuse game yesterday which i got a real kick out of growing up not really a syracuse fan but they were always one of my favorite teams and uh let me see what else and i did the first game i did was a, a Xavier game the if i if i sound a little out of it the uh, georgia tech game today was um played in madrid and they played it at 11 a.m local time there which was at 5 a.m in austin so i had and i had to get into work at uh, 4 15 so uh, that that's just been my day so far, but now uh, nine nine thirty nine here on the dot, and I'm I'm ready to roll, Alex. <laughs> well, certainly sounds like you're having a <laughs> yeah. hell of a trip so far. <laughs> it's a good time. It's a good time. Austin's a lot of fun. I, re- I recommend it to for people who haven't been. Uh, come come in the fall though. It's it's, it's you can only spend twenty minutes outside without dying. Yeah, yeah, it's a good idea. 
All right, Gavin. So the the schedule came out on Monday, and uh, you know I'm gonna. I mentioned that the you know in the open I'm gonna have uh, Budum, who some of you all might know from. You might remember him from his spot that I did at the Mets game when we all went to the Mets game together. But he's gonna come on the show and we're gonna talk about the schedule a little more at large. But Gavin, since you're here, we may as well talk a little bit about it now and at least give some of the key dates to everybody and uh you know make it so that you know all the listeners are are informed as to what's going on with the schedule going into this year so you know the the schedule came out the knicks are going to open at the spurs uh opening night is going to be wednesday october 23rd and then they're actually going to have uh their semi-home opener at brooklyn on (laughs) on the 25th at 7 30 and then their actual home opener uh, the following night on the 26th versus Boston at 7.30 as well. So uh, kind of an interesting start to the season, I would say. Um, San Antonio, I know the Knicks, for whatever reason, always play pretty well. You know, Regardless of how good or bad either team is, the Knicks always seem to get up for San Antonio for some reason. And then Brooklyn <laughs> obviously has its significance. We'll see how many Knicks fans are still in the building. And, you know, I, I don't know if... Is that Brooklyn's home opener as well? I, I didn't check Brooklyn's schedule to know. Yeah, but either way, second game of the season for the Knicks will be at Brooklyn. It'll be interesting to see if it's still like 50-50 Knicks and Nets fans in there, uh, if not a better percentage. Um, but we'll see what goes on there. And then opening at home against Boston. So kind of a, uh, I, I would say kind of a rigorous start to the season. Uh, definitely three teams that have playoff hopes for this year. So uh, it, it'll be kind of an early test for the Knicks, I think. Yeah, it, it's a it's a fun slate. That first game against the Spurs, I think I think it'll be interesting because not that the Knicks are going to be transcendently bad next season like they were last year, but you, you always see with um, with like bad teams, like I remember with like Phoenix last year and, and I get, with the Knicks last year as well, a lot of times their best game of the season or one of their best games of the season is their very first game. When you still have hope, you're not beaten down by the schedule, you're not beaten down by lack of talent or lack of depth. And it, it's going to be thrilling to see um, R.J. Barrett in that setting in San Antonio. Obviously, the Spurs aren't going to be next year what they've been over the last two decades by and large, but that, that's still certainly a challenge. And they're, they're one of the better... Um, defensive groups of guards and um, forwards in the NBA, specifically Deontay Murray. So I'm really, I'm, I'm intrigued to see, um, assuming RJ Barrett gets the start for that first game, I'm intrigued to see what he does in that matchup. And then the Nets, it, it would be, it'd be so sweet to go into Brooklyn and get a win, especially if that is um, Kyrie's debut there. And I, I don't necessarily know if that's likely, but you got to figure they're still going to be working out some of the kinks, incorporating him and the Knicks will have a realistic shot there. And then home against the Celtics. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have, Pretty strong feeling about that one, but it should should be fun. I'm sure there'll be a lot of enthusiasm for that game with it being RG's first game and uh, Mitch's first game in, in three months, with uh, which will be a big event given how much we love him. Uh, I'm actually I'm pretty excited um, for. I mean, at least in the San Antonio and Boston game, I'm really excited to see Julius Randle as well because San Antonio. It'll be cool to see him against Lamarcus Aldridge, who I think like if you look at how they play the game, I mean. Aldridge is kind of a, a kind of the archetype that you you know look for Randall to sort of like emulate. Um, you know he he does a lot of his damage in you know the mid range, but 
I mean, luckily, Julius is also working on a three-point shot that seems to be progressing pretty well based off of last year. So he's even maybe becoming sort of a uh, a little more idealized version of, of LMA, but without the, like, completely automatic mid-range game like Aldridge has. Um, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see those two against each other. And then the Boston game, I mean, we're going to talk about Cantor a little bit later in the show, but... I really just want to see like Mitch and Randall just go to town on Cantor at home. And I think that would be really fun. Uh, I, I also just really, really hope, I mean, you figure Cantor's going to be their starting center. I really, really hope that the garden crowd does not cheer him. Cause I know that like the, you know, us as like the podcasters and like the blog type guys and whatever, like really hated Cantor because we understood that like his points and rebounds, like, weren't doing anything because he was playing such bad defense, but you know, it still at the garden, he was like beloved, you know, like when he got benched and whatever, you know, people were still, uh, uh, cheering for him and, and begging for him to come into games and ch- chanting, we want cancer and all this stuff. So I don't know what to expect with his return. You would think being in a Celtics uniform, there would be no shot that anybody cheers him, but I'm going to have to like grit my teeth when he gets introduced because uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen as far as that goes. Yeah, no, that'll that, that'll that'll be interesting. I uh, I think you'll probably it'll be like twenty percent of people cheering, but it might just be you know you might just have like the effect of the crowd and like I think people might end up feeling like too guilty or get shamed into booing him. So I, I do I, I think I think you'll get your wish there. Um, let, let's move on to the national TV games, uh, November fourteenth um, on ESPN. The Knicks take on. Aluka slash uh, my beloved Chris Tapp slash the snake, as most of you know him. Uh, that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. I think I think you're going to get universal booze for his uh, his re-debut in the Garden as a Dallas Maverick. Yeah, based off everything we know now, I, I think he'll definitely get booze. You know what I mean? Like everything that's come out about, you know, how he basically asked out and the Knicks just accommodated his trade request and, um. You know, just the general vibe that he's had towards, like, New York and the Knicks since he left. Um, the kind of rude way that he, like, <laughs> like uh, I guess, like, quote-unquote said goodbye on Twitter at first, where he just, like, tweeted out, like, the, like, eye and smirk emojis with, like, the picture of Luka Doncic or whatever. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, the sexual assault allegations that are against him as well. Certainly doesn't look too great on him. Uh, so yeah, I think it'll be an interesting game. I hope, uh, you know, this is another one again, I I feel like so many of these matchups, I'm just going to be so intrigued to see how worth the money Julius Randle is like that, that relatively big, uh, two plus one, you know, $60 million contract. I want to see like how he does against the Porzingis of the world, which he's already whooped Porzingis once as a Laker when Porzingis was a Nick. So, uh, I feel fairly good about his chances because he's just like he's that exact type of player that like on offense versus Porzingis on defense can really give him fits because he's like smaller than him but also a lot stronger than him and has the athleticism to sort of like stand up to Porzingis's like height and length and everything so that'll be pretty pretty interesting to see how how that matchup goes down Um, yeah I I guess on on the other end of the floor I'm kind of I'm kind of intrigued by Mitch against KP. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe Randall will spend some time on him. And it, I'm sure it depends on what lineups Dallas chooses to throw out there and who's playing the five, whether we have Dwight Powell playing a lot of minutes. But I, I think, like, 
Chris Stapps is like sort of the like dream matchup for Mitch with like KP's like inside outside game. But you think Mitch would have like the requisite athleticism to nullify that and and sort of the trump card with KP is like all right if you put someone like fast enough on him to like keep him from getting to the rim he's gonna shoot over them and like Mitch like one of like maybe like two three guys in the NBA that like that's not true. So it'll it'll be I, I think. It, which is, is kind of ironic because it seemed for, for a while they were predestined to play 10 years next to each other. But going against each other, he, he's sort of like, if I was to build someone to guard Chris Stapps, it, it would basically be Mitchell Robinson. And maybe you could just say, well, if I was going to build a defensive player, it would be Mitchell Robinson, period. But to me, that's, that's a really fun matchup on the other side of the floor. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, I want to see Mitch block one of his threes, one of his like supposedly unblockable threes that... Yeah you know, he gets off at, like, that high release point. Like, I think Mitch could realistically block, like, one or two of them at least and, and you know, or, like, tip them, you know what I mean? Like, affect the shot, uh, which Porzingis isn't going to be used to at all. Uh, the next game is that December 10th game at Brooklyn on national TV. Um, I mean, that one, it's sort of just the same thing as the second game. You know, I, I guess by then maybe Brooklyn will be a little more, a little more gelled, but hopefully the Knicks will as well. I don't know. I think my, I guess if we're setting expectations for what I want the Knicks to do against Brooklyn this year, like I really think, I think Brooklyn without Durant is really not going to be that different of a team than they were last year. Cause I don't, I think without Durant, they, they replaced like D'Angelo Russell with Kyrie Irving, which is like a little bit of an upgrade, I guess. And then, you know, they added what DeAndre Jordan and, that's basically it. I mean, I can't really, it, you know, they have Levert back, hopefully healthy and all that stuff. But I think ultimately, like, the Nets are still only going to be like a mid-seed playoff team this year if Durant never plays a game. Uh, and so I, I would like to see, I mean, I guess my goal for every one of the four matchups against the Nets is that I just want the Knicks to, like, play them hard and play them tight, like, every single time that they play them. Because I, I think, like, if they can come out of it with like two out of four wins or something like that. Like if they can split with Brooklyn, I, I think that looks pretty good on the Knicks this year. Yeah, it, it'll be a pretty interesting run for the, not, not to get too off topic on the Knicks run, but between Brooklyn, Boston, and Toronto for who ends up being the three seed out East and how those three teams start out. And, and I guess to that point, um, you know, I, I, let's, I, I guess I'm kind of skipping ahead because we still have one more national TV game to go after but it, it just it's interesting how challenging the Atlantic is going to be this year and what that could potentially mean for the Knicks record because for my money the Atlantic has four of the top five teams in the Eastern Conference with the Milwaukee Bucks being the one um, outlier there and as you noted um, in our pre-show and I thought this was pretty interesting um, the Knicks play eight of their 16 division games by December 1st and then have an incredibly tough stretch from November 20th to December 15th and it, it'll be and, and obviously I think you're taking into account that they play a lot of division teams over that stretch so maybe it's um uh, it's being like a little repetitive but it'll it'll be fascinating to see come all-star break or I guess even a month before like around that December 15th mark are the Knicks still within playoff range after just going through those brutal stretch of games or does that sort of knock them out and does that sort of shape the trajectory of their season yeah I I don't know quite what to expect there um I think if they could like out of those 13 games, if they can get like five wins or something like that, I, I think they'd be in good shape. Like if they can, if they can get through, let's say like the month of December and be anywhere near 500, I, I think their schedule gets a pretty decent amount easier down the stretch of the season rather than harder. Like it has sometimes in the past. Um, 
because again they you know they get so many of their division games out of the way and as you noted like the Atlantic is definitely going to be a pretty tough division this year I think you're a little more bullish on Brooklyn without KD than I am but like yeah, there's no denying they're going to be a playoff contender if nothing else um I think Toronto without Kawhi will still be in good shape because uh, they added some good depth pieces and stuff and you'll get development from Siakam and all that um and then obviously Philly I think is legitimately like a contender for the title this year like the NBA title period like not even just the Easter Conference so um yeah it'll be uh, and then the Celtics who I I I don't think the Celtics, I don't know. I, I don't know what to think with them. We're going to have to see just how much, like, replacing Horford with Cantor destroys, like, their defense and everything. Because I think it's going to have some pretty negative effects, uh, especially because they don't have Baines anymore either. So yeah. we'll see how that all goes. But, um, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. I, I do think, though, like, if the Knicks can be anywhere, like, within a few games of 500 by the time that like the new year rolls around, we could be looking at maybe a team that could make like a push for like the eight seed or something. And that would be pretty cool. I'm not holding my breath for it, but if they surprise us and do well over those first like two, two months and change uh, that could be in the cards. Uh, I guess we'll, we'll end off uh, the, the last national TV game that the Knicks have is January 10th versus Zion. Uh, and as you noted in our notes here, he'll be in the wrong uniform for his garden debut. Um, but like, I don't know. It, it's it's fine. I'm happy with RJ now at this point. I'm at peace with it. But of course, you want to highlight that matchup because um, it's the two Duke guys against each other. Two two guys that hopefully by January 10th will be front runners for Rookie of the Year. And you know maybe this could be a statement game for RJ or for Zion uh, to sort of make their case about being Rookie of the Year. But uh, I guess we'll see as far as that goes. But that it should be an interesting matchup regardless and I, I think if nothing else the pelicans are just going to be a really fun team to watch this year because they're going to be young and bouncy and you know just just doing good things all around yeah and and uh we got to remember the julius randall revenge game as well after his glorious one-year tenure in uh new orleans I actually i i would like to see um julius and zion guard each other they're both i mean obviously like julius isn't the same athlete and i mean not the same level of talent but that that would be kind of a fun matchup because they're both sort of built the same way. I mean, Julius is, I think, like two, three inches taller, but like kind of stocky, powerful guys. And I, w- I wonder if either one could stop the other at all. I, I especially like Zion on defense versus Julius on offense. I think that would that would really intrigue me, even though I'm, I'm sure we'll get some time uh, with, with the two Duke guys uh, guarding each other as well. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, all right, I think we can uh, we could probably wrap up this first segment here uh so we'll come back we're gonna get into some player reviews uh first just as a reminder though if any of you guys are into fantasy football fantasy football players make sure you listen to Vinny Iyer and locked on fantasy football Vinny gives you the edge with over 20 years covering fantasy football don't listen to the same stuff as everyone else then you're just the same as everyone else you want to be different fantasy football is all about being ahead of the curve get the edge from Vinny that will put you ahead on draft day and put you ahead all season long Locked On Fantasy Football is on your favorite podcast provider, just like Locked On Knicks. So, all right, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back to Locked On Knicks, getting into our review of DeAndre Jordan's season. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. 
Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back in to Locked On Knicks, your favorite daily New York Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw. He's Alex Wolf. And we want to remind you there are plenty of other great shows in the Locked On Podcast Network. Alex already mentioned Locked On Fantasy Football, but if you're like me, you're nearly as excited for real football as the fake thing. And if you fall into that category, I highly encourage you to listen to Locked On NFL. The new Locked On NFL is on fire. Last week was one of the most listened to NFL shows in the country with the expert analysis of former NFL scout Matt Williamson. Hosted by Brian Peacock, Locked On NFL is your daily national podcast on all things NFL with Matt's unique take on the game. Follow Locked On NFL now on your favorite podcast provider. Anyways, Alex, let's continue our player reviews today. We're covering the centers, and we're going to save the uh, probably the more frustrating one for last. We'll, we'll start off with DeAndre Jordan, who had a pretty, some would say nondescript, I, w- I would say solid Knicks tenure. Played 19 games, averaged 11 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, just over a block a night. Shot 63% from the field. And all in all, was he, I mean, he's clearly not the same guy he was in the Clippers, but he's surprised in some ways with how good of a passer he was. And I loved what he did to the Knicks locker room this past season. It seemed like he was such a positive presence down the stretch. And I think on, especially with so many young guys who've never gone through it before, I think it could have been a really depressing end to the season and guys kind of slogging through it. But it seemed like this team never really got down and they were continually having fun over the last couple of weeks. And I think a lot of that is on DeAndre. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, so first off, you know, the biggest shout out that he deserves is that I feel like uh, Mitch's level of play took a huge jump once DeAndre got here. Like, it just seemed like he was exactly the mentor that Mitch needed at that time. You know, just someone who was kind of in the same archetype as of what Mitch, you know, strives to be. Hopefully Mitch will be a, an even better version of DeAndre Jordan uh, in his future. But, like, you know, just it, it seemed like Mitch immediately, the second that Jordan got there, was, you know, not fouling as much and also just was having such a good time. I don't know. Like, Mitch just... It seemed like he and DeAndre like really got along well and had I mean, we mentioned it back in the season that they had almost this like like father son relationship. It seemed like like they were always teasing each other on the bench and stuff. And it was like they just became like instant friends. So that was pretty cool to see. And I think that's if I remember one thing about DeAndre Jordan being on the Knicks, it'll it'll hopefully be that he, you know, started to uh, sort of accelerate Mitch's development in a way that the first guy that or the. I guess the first guy that was on the Knicks and the second guy we're going to talk about today, Cantor, never really did. He always got, at least I always got the impression that Cantor and Mitch just kind of tolerated each other because <laughs> uh, it, it seemed like it seemed like uh, Mitch would like clown on him at practice and stuff, but not necessarily in like a nice spirited way. Um, but maybe that was just how I read the situation. Uh, as far as DeAndre Jordan's best game, I think it was because we've been trying to highlight a best game for each of these players. I think. Uh, you could pretty safely say it was March 17th versus the Lakers. That was uh, one of the games that we highlighted with Mario Hazonia because that was the one with the famous uh, Mario laughing at LeBron picture and uh, has blocking his last second attempt 
uh, to try to win the game for the Lakers, and the Knicks squeaked it out by one point. But in that game, DeAndre Jordan, I think, was actually the MVP. Uh, he had 15 points, 18 rebounds, and seven assists. And that was the, really the first game. You briefly mentioned Gavin, his passing. That was the first game to me that, like, really kind of opened my eyes. And I was like, damn, like, they basically have DeAndre Jordan running the whole offense out of the high post right now. Like, he was he was basically, he would get the ball in the high post and then just, like, look for cutters or look for guys on the outside. You know, guys would get free on off-ball screens or whatever. And Jordan was just, like, perfectly able to find all of them. And it was uh, – it was pretty eye-opening because I never really thought that he could pass like that, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in the idea that playing with good passers early in your career eventually makes you a better passer. At least it makes you want to pass more. And I, I think a, a lot of ball movement, and obviously there are elements of like vision and skill and, and, um, and just the variety of passes you can pull off. But you know, a lot of passing is just willingness and, and interest and, and, and passion for it and, and getting joy out of setting someone, up, someone else up success and I feel like DeAndre Jordan really benefited from playing with Blake Griffin playing with Chris Paul early in his career and, and just guys who sort of instilled that DNA in him and I hope it's something that sort of propagated itself throughout this Knicks team we we saw it a little bit with um, Alonzo Trier late in the season he, he seemed to become like more and more inclined towards getting teammates involved and and not totally going full iso though at all times I, I'm interested to see this year and I feel like it's something that'll probably come around maybe three, four years later in his career. But if we see a little bit more passing instincts from Mitchell Robinson next season, and, and the whole thing with him is, is he's obviously never going to be in a situation to run offense. Like they're not going to really be like putting him in a lot of um, situations where he's a pick-and-roll ball handler necessarily. But there are avenues for him to be really effective as a passer because he's so dominant as a rim roller. He's go, I, I, I genuinely believe next year he's going to have the entire focus of the defense every time he runs a pick and roll. And on those short rolls, when double teams come, there are going to be shooters wide open in the corner. And if Mitch on the fly can catch and make those passes on plays, he doesn't get lobbed and he stopped from getting all the way to the rim. That'll make a really significant difference in his game. And, and that's something kind of simple he can add. So I, I really, we, we talk about just how much he gained from Deandre. I hope that's sort of one final step that a year later, we start to see the effects of. Yeah, I, I really hope so as well. I honestly, I mean, it, <laughs> It sounds kind of weird to say, but honestly, like one of the more disappointing things of how like everything shook down with uh, Kyrie and, and Durant and all that stuff is that I feel like if Durant would have come to New York, then we would have gotten another year of DeAndre Jordan with Mitch. And what was nice, I mean, maybe he, he wouldn't feel the same way knowing that it was a more long term arrangement. But what was really nice with DeAndre last year was, and again, to, to draw a direct comparison to our next guy, Cantor. When DeAndre Jordan got benched down the stretch and had a number of DNPs and stuff, like for the sake of getting the young guys time, he didn't say anything. Like he was totally fine with playing behind Mitch and playing backup minutes. And then even at times he got completely benched and, you know, uh, they were just playing Luke Cornett behind Mitch and stuff like that. And, and, you know, DeAndre never said a word about it. He was just like, look, if that's what they want to do, that's fine. Like, I don't care. You know, I'm just here to, to help these kids along and whatever. And, it was really good to see from him. So, like, if they could have brought him back for, you know, even just one more year, that would have been kind of cool. Um, obviously, it wasn't in the cards, but that's all right. I, I guess that brings me to my last point, because we've been sort of, especially with the guys that are no longer with the Knicks, just been projecting a little bit about their their futures here. Um, I think DeAndre Jordan, I mean, he got a four-year, $40 million contract from the Nets to yeah. join Kyrie and Kevin Durant. 
And in my opinion, he got paid way too much. I really don't think that DeAndre's worth that anymore. Um, he was making near max money last year uh, on a one-year deal with the Mavs before he got traded to the Knicks. And then, um, you know, now he's making like roughly $10 million a season. Uh, I, I just think based off what we saw last year with both the Mavs and the Knicks, like DeAndre needs to have a new level of motivation, I guess, especially on defense, because if if what we saw last year on the Mavs and Knicks was any indication, he's not the like game altering defensive talent that he used to be. And that's where most of his utility comes from. Um, I still think he's a decent like quarterback on defense, but I just didn't see the effort there. And he couldn't like, it, it didn't seem like it, much like how Mitch does now. It didn't seem like he could like gobble up any player that he gets switched on to anymore or whatever. Um, yeah. It seems like he's there's definitely vulnerabilities to his game that have come up with age, but I mean, of course, he's going to be playing in front of Jared Allen now too, so maybe that'll have kind of the same dynamic as with Mitch, where eventually DeAndre will just kind of take the back seat. But I mean, if you, if they brought him on to be like their every night starter, I I worry a little bit, or I, I'd worry a little bit as a Nets fan about you know just how viable he is as an every night starter for you know, the next three four years. No, I'm I'm 100% with you, and and I think it, it's going to be a situation where maybe halfway through this year, assuming that he is starting from day one, like he he gives away to Jared Allen, and, and he's just sort of there as kind of an overpaid mentor, like what the Suns tried to do the last few years of giving Jared Dudley a lot of money, and then Trevor Ariza a lot of money. It, it, it's sort of it, it's a little bit of that with all the young guys they have, and I think it'll be useful in that capacity. And then it, it was kind of just like a Kyrie and KD tax. It was like, look, I mean, we can only. We, we, we can give you guys the max, but there, I, there a max exists. There's a finite amount of money we can give you. And they're like, all right, we'll give the final $40 million to my friend DeAndre. And they're like, okay, fine, sure. And that's, that's sort of what happened with that. But I, I do think he'll be a good presence for them. And uh, I, I wish him the best. Uh, no, no ill feelings towards DeAndre Jordan. The same cannot be said about the man we're talking about next segment. To find out who it is, I think we've already said it five, six times. Tune in next on Locked on Knicks. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the third and final segment of Locked On Knicks. Today, we are reviewing Ennis Cantor's Knicks season now. Uh, to say he was, I don't know if, I don't know if you could call him polarizing. He definitely had a, a large amount of support from some fans who felt like he was like the quintessential New York center or whatever, because he liked to like fight for rebounds and stuff. I never saw that from him, Gavin, but, uh, and his cancer last year averaged 14 points and 10 and a half rebounds per game for the Knicks. Uh, he, I mean, he didn't do much else other than that. Um, my assessment of his game and a lot of people's is basically that he was there to get his stats and he wanted to be playing minutes and stuff just to get his stats. He set out a goal before last season that he wanted to be an all-star, which is a noble cause and everything, but it seemed like his 
his way of getting to be an all-star would be to just stat pad his way there. And, you know, if he wasn't out there getting his chance to, you know, collect a 2020 game or whatever, he would get very upset. Uh, there was a whole saga where midway through the season, uh, the Knicks benched him for a few games, which literally they did to every other veteran player on the team. Like nobody was safe, like and everybody else took it in stride. Mario Hazonia, Lance Thomas, like uh, Tim Hardaway even sat for a couple games. Courtney Lee like barely played. You know, all these other vets like, you know, didn't didn't play every single night. And Cantor got benched for like two or three games and turned it into like a federal case. Uh, you know, was complaining to the media that he wasn't playing, was trying to get on the back pages all the time, which I found personally annoying. Uh, and then, you know, would make a scene at the garden like. You know, if, if fans would start a We Want Cantor chant, he'd be sitting there like an orchestra conductor, like trying to pump them up. Um, it just I, his whole tenure annoyed me, especially this year, because he it, the, the fact of the matter was, was that he opted into a contract with the Knicks because he wasn't going to be able to get paid that money anywhere else. Uh, but when he opted in, he should have been aware of the fact that they were drafting young. They were signing young players and they wanted to go in a different direction than contention or whatever, which obviously did not, I mean, not that I think that cancer can be a starting center on a contending team. Um, but you know, it went in a different direction than cancer. Who's I think at best, like a luxury scoring bench player, uh, that you have on, you know, an actually good team. Um, but I'll stop rambling, Gavin. I'll let you get your two cents in on cancer. Cause I, I was, I was glad to see him go. And I, he's, uh, there are plenty of former Knicks I'd love to bring back at some point. He's one that I never hope to see in a Knicks uniform again. Yeah, um, you get no argument from me. I mean, I was I was a big proponent of, and I mean, and this is my and and it's unfair to make a direct comparison because he has a little bit more going on in his game in terms of floor spacing and passing and plays at a less essential spot defensively. But I mean, these were something Julius Olin like saying, okay, how do we know like he's not just a better canter. And I know, I think, and I'll, I'll give you a chance to respond to that. And I know like a lot of people who would, who would say, okay, that's like ridiculous. Like, I mean, like, he's, he's younger or he's more multifaceted and he at least has a chance to be okay on defense while canter was awful and showed little interest in getting better. But I, I was just, I, I just, I don't like those types of players, guys who are not only like stat patterns, but do so in ineffective ways. Like I always kind of found it like comical how like Rajon Rondo would literally pass up wide open layups to try and get an assist. But at least if you want to put a positive spin on that, he was like always, and I mean, it was pretty clear, like he just, he wanted the assist numbers, but at least he was being selfish in a way that was sometimes conducive to his team's success. And if nothing else, conducive to his teammates' confidence. And um, I'm sure they got frustrated at times, but probably made them like him a little bit more. Cancers were all about, uh, I'm going to get every rebound uh i want the ball all the time i, I want to just get my points and i want to i want to call it a night and to that point his best game as a nick last season came in a, in a loss against the brooklyn nets where he had 29 points 10 rebounds took 18 shots made five three throws and if you want to spin it positively on canner he's like an enormously talented offensive player and I, I think you really got to see that in this year's postseason where he had a number of really really good games 26 points 11 rebounds in um that game one against the denver nuggets in the western conference semifinals and I guess the question I was going to throw back at you, Alex, I mean, you, you described him, and I, I tend to agree with this, like his best role is probably as a bench guy on a good team. Did his performance with the Nuggets change your opinion of him at all? Because I was always, 
big on the idea that I, I remember it was um, his last year in Oklahoma City, and Scott Brooks was caught saying on camera, oh, we can't play Cantor. And did, did this shift your perception at all that he's not a guy that's completely unplayable in the playoffs and in the right context he can actually be effective? Or was this just sort of like a fluky playoff run and people maybe underrated just how bad he was defensively over those games? Yeah, I think it was a fluky playoff run. I'm not willing. I'm not willing to throw out like however many years. How many years have you been in the league now? Like six, like eight, like seven, I think. Yeah, seven. I'm not willing to throw out like seven years worth of of play, especially considering he's never really done anything to change his game in that whole time. Like he's maybe gotten a little better, like at his best traits, which is offense and rebounding, but he's never really, it seemed, put any effort into becoming a better defensive player. And I, I think maybe you know Portland put him in a place where he could like contribute in such a way that it, or or at least be hidden on defense you know what i mean like it, it seemed like they just did a good job of of mitigating his uh defensive deficiencies while maximizing his you know offensive efficiencies um so i i, I my mind isn't changed on him at all i did want to i did want to i just totally thought while you were talking a second ago when you're talking about him always trying to get the rebound or whatever i did want to bring up and we'll probably bring it up again in the next player review show we do with Noah Vonley. But the my funniest, like, inter-Knicks beef this year was Noah Vonley and Ennis Cantor having rebound contests. Because Cantor, for a while, was, like, actively stealing rebounds from teammates to try to, like, pad his stats. And it was becoming, like, abundantly obvious. And, like, you could see that some players... We're starting to give him looks and stuff like when they're out there because Cantor would just like barrel in out of nowhere to take like a rebound at a Kevin Knox's hand or whatever. And uh, or Noah Vonley for that matter. And then at a certain point, Noah Vonley, at least to me, almost started like boxing out Cantor for rebounds. And I found it to be really, really funny. Like I I think it was just like Vonley kind of trolling Cantor. Yeah, but it, was, it was just another one of those things that made me love Noah Vonley this past year and made me kind of sad to see him go. Um, but that, that was, I don't know, one of my, one of my funnier Knicks memories from this past year was the, uh, the like Vonley versus Cantor battle Royales for rebounds. That's really good. I, um, I, I kind of, I, I want to go back and watch highlights of when he was on Oklahoma city and, and just what, what do you think happened when him and Russell Westbrook were on the floor together? Because like the Thunder strategy the last five years has been, okay, four guys box out, Russ, go get the rebound. And that, that's basically like Cantor's dream job. And I, I got to imagine at some point Russ just flipped out on him when he wasn't willing to go along with that script. But I, 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 can't, I can't even quite remember what that was like. So I might, I might go back and watch some like 14, 15, 15, 16 uh, Oklahoma City Thunder games. Uh, I guess uh, last two points on Canner. Do you think, because I mean, obviously, he had all these qualities on the court that made him annoying and sort of off the court um, with some of the stuff with like encouraging fans, like to bring him to the game and like how like upset he was about not playing. Do you think, like, we were maybe, and, like, it wasn't, like, outright, like, we were saying, like, we hate the guy, but do you think we're a little bit too harsh? Because he obviously, I mean, was some of the political stuff, and, like, I know, I would say even more so than that, like, I know, like, all the camps he's running this summer for, like, kids, and, like, he tried to do one on Long Island. Like, do you think we were, like, a little bit too harsh on him as a person? Because I do, I do feel like he's genuinely, like, well-intentioned. It's just he has some traits that are annoying but it's almost like i'm almost of the mind which maybe this is maybe i'm sure you would love this but i almost like think of him as like a 10 year old or like all right some of this stuff can't be helped but his heart is in the right place or, or do you think that's not true 
No, I'm with you. Like I've always said, I even even in my most like vitriolic rants on Cantor this past year, I always made a point to be like, look, but he is a good person. Like I I do admire what he's done to try to um, you know, shed light on the the situation in Turkey, you know, in his home country with uh Erdogan, who's the, you know, kind of dictator there. Um trying to shed light on that whole situation and, and staying resolute in his beliefs with that. Um, and, you know, literally putting his life on the line for that cause, because if he leaves the U S and goes to another country, I mean, there's a very real chance that he could like be killed um, or, you know, extradited to Turkey or, or whatever the case. Um, also all the stuff he does with kids and camps and everything else. I mean, that's all great too. I just, my ultimate stance on him is that I just don't, like him as a professional basketball player um emphasis on professional because i just i think that the way that he carries himself in a basketball sense is very unprofessional and it's and, and not even like in this in the like old curmudgeon way of like respect the game like respect this respect like i don't care about that i love that the nba is all about having fun and stuff like that but i feel like he's I feel like Cantor views himself as a great teammate or whatever because he like jokes around and stuff. But in reality, I think he's actually a pretty shitty teammate because he does things like putting himself above the team and, you know, like prioritizing himself in a year that clearly wasn't about like any one player or playoff aspirations or anything on the Knicks. You know, he he was prioritizing his own playtime over the development of some of his younger teammates and stuff like that. And I, I think that's a bad look as well. Um, obviously he did his thing once he got to Portland. I mean, he's going to certainly get the job that like, he's, he got like his dream job basically with the Celtics now, cause he's going to be presumably the starting center on what should be a playoff team. So, you know, I hope he finds some happiness with that, but as far as how he conducted himself as a Nick, I don't think he deserves a pass at all just because he's a good person. Um, Cause he was just a bad professional, you know? So all my thoughts, all my bad thoughts on him always come down to how he conducted himself like on and off the court in a basketball sense. But, you know, I think we can separate that from the fact that he's actually like a good person and a, and a humanitarian and all that stuff as well. It's kind of the same thing, not to, not to totally divert too much, but like it's kind of the same thing as like the people that really, really dislike how mellow handled himself down the stretch, like with the Knicks. But like Mello does so much like, you know, philanthropic work and stuff and just genuinely seems like a nice guy and a good father and everything else. And so like, you know, you could separate these things like you can be like, I don't like Mello, the basketball player. I don't like how Mello conducted himself down the stretch for the Knicks. Uh, but I recognize he's still a good person off the court. And you can do the same thing with Cantor, I think, you know, it's just I, I don't think we were too hard on him in the sense of like being mad at all the stuff he was doing to sort of try to like sabotage what the Knicks had going this year, whatever, whatever it was the Knicks had going, you know, as far as developing players and stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think if I, if I had to sum it up in, in like a phrase, I would say he's, he's tone deaf and it's just, he doesn't, he doesn't totally, I mean, he has, he's, he is kind of selfish and he probably like, I'm sure realizes that to a degree, but it just, it's not, he, he just kind of misses the point and he, he thinks he's, in a place that he's not. And I think, I mean, like anyone who's gone through life, you run into those people who just sort of like consistently misinterpret things and aren't ill-intentioned in any ways, but the result, then results is bad. And let's be honest, I mean, the best case scenario is, I I hope he puts up incredible stats. Like I, like my best case scenario is he averages like 25 and 13 next year and destroys the Celtics from within. 
Uh, on, on that happy note, uh, I think we can wrap up this edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Alex, you're going to be back for one or two more this week, and then um, hope we get some guests on next week. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to be on the West Coast the next month, so maybe the schedule will be a little iffy, but we'll make sure to keep uh, churning out two to three podcasts every single week. Um, I, I would guess that it's impossible at this point, but in case you missed it, uh, um, about a week and a half ago, we did episode 500 and episode 500 part two. So if you didn't check those out, uh, I highly encourage you to do just that. 71 days out from the season, so getting closer and closer. Until then, be good and enjoy your week. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.